Second Kings chapter 22. As tonight we look at a king by the name of Josiah. And when you look at the nation of Israel and then you go down into the southern kingdom of Judah, what you find is that they had four great revivals. And uh, the one that we're going to study tonight is the best. Um, and, you know, I was just thinking about what Josiah did. And to me, there's so many similarities between uh, Israel and our country, although we're not like the same as Israel, we're not necessarily a theocracy. I think that God had his hand on us and we were blessed and, uh, and then we just drifted away and, uh, we're suffering as a result of that. So judgment is coming. You guys know that, right? Judgment is coming. But, um, what Josiah did was he postponed the judgment and he brought about revival and we know judgment is coming to our country, but if we are revived ourselves individually, if we are just zapped, man, with a, a passion and just a, a full-out absolute surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then, then that'll spark a revival. And what that'll do is that'll postpone the judgment. And during that span of time where there's a postponement, many people are going to get saved. And that's a beautiful thing. And so we want to learn from this. And so we read here, in 2 Kings 22, it says in verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adaiah at Bokhtha. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Josiah. His name means whom Jehovah heals. And uh, God would use him, I think, to bring about a healing in the land that was unparalleled prior to uh, him, all the way back to David. And then it didn't happen again, really, until they returned from exile. And so this guy brought about a great healing in the land. Um, when you study the life of Josiah, as you guys know, the Chronicles also cover the southern kingdom of Judah. And so you might want to read Second Chronicles 34 and 35 when you get home tonight rather than going home and watching television, you know. And, uh, and you'll see Chronicles kind of covers it from more of a priestly perspective. But isn't it cool how we read, um, again, he was eight years old, so, you know, that's kind of young <laughs> to be a king. A lot of people believe that he had an influence. Uh, the high priest, we're going to see his name is Hilkiah. And, uh, and he becomes a godly man. Uh, we're going to see at the age of 26, man, all this thing, things happen that year that are so amazing at the age of 26 years old, you know. And so he's used by God to change the whole nation. But, you know, um, what an influence that you can have. Think of an 8-year-old. Do you know an 8-year-old, a 7-year-old, a 6-year-old, a little kid? And you might think that you you don't make a difference in their life, but absolutely you do. And you just pour into them, and you love them, and you pray for them. And this guy, Helkiah, they say, was the one that influenced him uh, from a very young age. And, uh, you know, his dad died when he was eight. So, man, this guy steps up and blesses him. And, you know, the synopsis here is kind of interesting. I don't know for sure, and I was really looking into this. Like, I think it didn't happen until later, but we kind of have a synopsis of his life. It says, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord... And walked in all the ways of his father David, and uh, and it says he didn't turn to the right hand or or the left, and that's cool. 
You know, and that's the way we want to live our life. You know, we want to do what's right in God's sight. It doesn't matter what people think. Even though we can get consumed with, well, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? You know what? Who cares? Don't get caught up in that because you can't fear God and man simultaneously. So he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And, uh, and he walked in all the ways of his father, David. David being the example there for the kings, right? And I like the way it says he didn't turn aside to the right hand or the left. And that was the commandment back in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 32. Uh, Moses said, therefore, you shall be careful. Walk carefully to do as the Lord your God has commanded you, you shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You guys, we got to stay on track. we got to stay on track. Other translations uh, word it differently. They say um, he obeyed all the commands. He never stopped living this, this way. He lived the way God, did, God wanted. He stayed on the path. And yet how many people do we see? They go to the right and they go to the left and they're all all over the place. And, you know, when you read the testimonies of those whom God is really pleased with, it's this man, it's those people who stayed on track. And that was the synopsis of his life. Although we're going to see he's not a perfect man because there's no such thing. But he really had this testimony before the Lord. And so we read in verse 3. It says, Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah. So he's somewhere around the year, the age of 26, right? that the king sent Shaphan the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord, doing the work to repair the damages of the house, to carpenters and builders and masons and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. You know, again, I mean, I don't know what you guys were doing when you were 26. Uh, Some of you here, you were way out there. I know I got saved when I was about 23, right around there. You know, and so, um, but for most people at that age, you know, they're not really doing things like this, you know, but it just somewhere it comes into his heart as the king, you know, to fix up the house of the Lord, you know, that temple of God. And, uh, you know, there was dilapidation, the repairs that needed to be made, kind of like some of our houses, right? And uh, we're ghetto, man, we don't fix it, you know, <laughs> and we, we can't be that way, though. We shouldn't be that way at home. And so the Lord's convicting me in those areas. I've got to fix the linky faucet or I've got to fix the lock on my door, you know, paint my laundry room, things like that. You know, so um, pray for me. But also, especially, though, the house of the Lord, you know. Um, and so that came into his heart to fix it up. And, you know, this is an interesting thing. When you read this section of Scripture right here, it's real similar to Second uh, Kings chapter 12. What King Joash did, it almost sounds like it's identical, you know, and uh, it almost sounds that if somewhere, you know, as he's reading through the annals of the kings of past history, that he found this example. He said, hey, King Joash was a right on king. And when the house of the Lord kind of got messed up, King Joash, you know, he did this. He did everything that we're reading about here today, and he fixed up the temple of God. How he said he received donations, he repaired the dilapidations, and uh, and he even mentions the same thing as far as what we read there in verse seven, 
that you don't really have to worry about these guys, about, you know, uh, taking them into account um, because they're real trustworthy men. And so, you know, there's just that, that, that similarity to me. And as I was reading it, I just thought, you know, um, probably again, another message of how our life will influence others. Um, Hilkiah influencing him when he's eight years old. Uh, Jehoash or Joash influencing him from centuries before. You know, don't underestimate what a life of character and integrity will do in history. Don't ever underestimate that. You might not even see it now. You might not even realize it now, but what you're doing as you're living for the Lord can really impact generations to come. I just really believe, because when you look at the similarities, this is mind-boggling. I really believe that he had that influence. And so, again, he sees the, the, the temple. Hey, let's hire some carpenters, some masons. We'll get some lumber. We'll get some stones. And we're going to fix it up really nice, right? That was in his heart. And so, uh, we read in verse 8, Then Hilkiah the high priest uh, said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And so Shaphan, the scribe, went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. And then Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Now again, this is why I I don't think up to this point, like it wasn't all put together yet. You know, apparently a long time had gone by without the word of God. Imagine that, you guys, for those of us who love the word, you know, imagine not having the Bible. Imagine, I mean, how... How lost we would be. I mean, we're, we don't know what direction we're going in, you know. I mean, we have our conscience. Thank God for that. And we have maybe other people that we can talk to who have history and, you know, they have advice and things like that. But imagine not having the Bible for a period of time. And apparently that's where they were. But as, as it comes into Josiah's heart to fix up the house of the Lord then, I don't know, um, I'm not sure, but maybe they went into the Ark of the Covenant somehow, or I don't know, it got, probably got lost in there, because remember, only the high priest could go in there. I don't know. All I know is that they found they found the Bible, which again trips me out, because number one, they had lost the Bible in there. That's kind of weird, huh? And then what ends up happening is they had found it. You know, uh, God did command them to keep a copy of the law in the Ark of the Covenant, according to Deuteronomy thirty-one twenty-four through 26. But here they found it. And of course, we know it's not the whole Bible. This is just the first five books of the Bible known as the Pentateuch. And uh, what we find, this was the covenant that they had to keep. And so they, they bring it back and he kind of gives a report. He says, hey, everything's going good. Uh, we're fixing up the house of the Lord. We've delivered the money, and they went to Home Depot, and they bought the stuff they need to, to buy, and it's going to look really nice. And, you know, if I could just say this is a real quick side note, that's exactly one of the things the Lord's laid on my heart. I met with uh, the elders last night and, and, and Henry, and we're talking about how we're going to go through. What we're going to do is we're going to go through the, all the buildings that we have, all the physical structures, 
And we're going to go through every nook and cranny. And if there's a, a something that needs to be painted or sanded or fixed or whatever, we're going to go through all the whole uh, whole building. We're going to go through all the ministries too with a fine tooth comb. And what, what I was telling the overseers of the day is we're going to, we just want to bring it to a place of excellence. You know, because as a church, I believe that primarily it has to do with our relationship with the Lord. Staying close to the Lord and being a church of prayer and the word and teaching the word. You know, but along that line is that, you know, what, is it, what does it communicate when, and again, we're, we're, it's not bad, you know. Someone might say, well, you know, it's, we'll survive if you don't paint that spot over there. But to me, what it is, is I want to just kind of step it up a notch. I, I want to I kind of get to that, that place where we are excellent for Christ. And I, I think that's where Josiah was. And so as they were there, it's so cool. The Lord then is going to bring a revival because I believe it was Josiah's heart to fix up the house of the Lord. Not so you could say, oh, look, look what, what I've got. It would be so that the Lord would be honored. I mean, just glory to God, you know. And so they're there, and then, well, boom, they, they find the Bible. And so what they did is they brought the report, and he brings the book. And when Shaphan read it to the king, you know, he read the, the, the books of the Bible, and he read all the promises of God, and he also read God's promise to punish to punish his people if they lived a life of disobedience, if they strayed away from the Lord. God said in Deuteronomy, and you can read it just everywhere, especially chapter 29, you read the book of Deuteronomy, God said, hey, if you guys get out of line and you're living in consistent, persistent, insistent sin, I will discipline you severely. I will take you out of the land. And, uh, and, and, and so Josiah, when he heard it, he knew he was doomed. You know, it was like, and I think there was probably a special moment there, having the Bible. It almost would remind me of Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah was in the, in the presence of God, you know. And then when he realized who he was, he said, Woe is me, I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean lips, I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts, the Lord of glory. That, I think that was, it was kind of one of those moments. And Josiah, he just, you know, he tore his clothes. And he realized that they were in, they were in deep trouble. Just like we need to realize, you guys, that our country is in deep trouble. Real deep trouble. Our, our, the church, so much of the church is so worldly, so Americanized, so carnal, so distracted with the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches, so caught up in building their own kingdoms, not teaching the word. So, you know, he's, he, he realizes it and he just tears his clothes. We're going to see he, he mourns and he weeps and he prays. And what does he do? In verse 12, he sends the guys to inquire of the Lord. It says right here, Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Asaiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah, 
concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest, the Haikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Asaiah, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe, she dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her. And then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the words of the book which the king of Judah have read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. So um, other translations say that he, he sent them to the temple. All we know is that he sent them to inquire of the Lord. He, Lord, you know, what should I do? Lord, what are you going to do? It's funny, I was reading that in my devotions yesterday about how David came to a place where he hadn't been in a long time. Remember, he was there with the Philistines. He was in the enemy's camp. And uh, what had happened, like the worst thing that could happen is that the Amalekites came and they took his family. They took everything away. It was like the worst moment of his life. I mean, they were talking about stoning him. But it turned out to be the best moment of his life because it was at that, that point where he had nowhere else to go and he inquired of the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord again and then he inquired of the Lord, Lord, what should I do? You know, and that's probably what's going on here. Lord, what are you going to do? Lord, what should I do? And so they go, uh, the team goes, uh, and uh, they inquire of the Lord. And one of the things that's kind of uh, sad to see is that they have to go to a, a woman. And no offense, ladies, okay? Um, don't take this the wrong way. But um, apparently there were no men who were prophets. Uh, there were no men that they could go to who had stepped up. It really shows us that this country at this point was without the word of God and they were without a man of God. They were without a prophet of God. And so they had to go to uh, this gal. Now, I'm not saying God can't have female prophets simultaneously, but when you're going to find out, when you're going to be led, when you're going to be led, you don't get led by a woman. That's what the Bible says, unless there's no man to step up. And we do have that story in the book of Judges, chapter 4 and 5, of Deborah who stepped up because Barak didn't want to take that responsibility. You know, but um, the, the way that God wires us is, no, God said no. Eve was deceived. Because sometimes women might get a little bit more emotional, not always, but sometimes. And God just said, hey, I've just, you know, I, I think, and I've told you guys many times, you know, I think women are better than men. Uh, they're amazing. You, guys, you gals are amazing. But God has called men to lead. Um, here, unfortunately, there were no men. So they had to go to this gal um, named Huldah. And the king was wondering, well, what's going to happen? And the Lord just basically said there in verse 16, my word is true. I'm going to bring judgment. 
I am going to bring calamity. Okay? The same is true for us. God is going to bring judgment. We know that. God is going to bring calamity on our country. God's going to bring judgment. The Bible says that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. So it's coming. We know that. The question is, can we postpone that? Like Josiah did, at least for a season, where there would be revival in me, so there'd be revival in our country. And there's a possibility of that. But we have done so much that there's no way out of this. And so, right here he goes and the Lord says, hey, I'm going to bring calamity. And, and he explains why. Because they had not obeyed God's word. You guys, it's not complicated. Learn your Bible, read your Bible, and obey what God tells you to do. It's so simple. We got to know that God carries out his promise to punish. He disciplines his children too. Not just the non-believer. He disciplines his children and he will judge. You know, the Bible says if you would just, if we would just judge ourselves, we wouldn't have to be judged. All right? And that's what the Bible talks about over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when some people were taking communion with an unworthy manner. You know, taking the holy things of God and taking them lightly. And they were judged for that. Some died because of that. And then so Paul says, if you just judge yourself, in other words, find out what's wrong in your life. Don't just go through life. And this is what I believe. I think what happens a lot of times is we as Christians, we think, well, it's just going to happen. I'm just going to, you know, it's just going to happen like naturally, you know, and, you know, like, you know, I don't know, casually. And it's not going to happen naturally or casually. It's going to happen volitionally. It will happen volitionally when you pray, God, search my heart and show me my sin. Show me the errors of my way. And when he shows you the things that you can't see, because there are many blind spots, then you identify those sins, those specific sins in your life. And then what you do is you repent of them. You overcome them. If you need accountability, if you need help, you need to learn a passage on that, whatever the specific sin is, then so be it. I mean, I, what I do is I, I write down my sins. And I'm there for a long time, but I write them down. Okay, this, and I examine my life, what happened yesterday. And you write them down, and then you guys, we know the scriptures pertaining to this, this, and this. Because you've got to get them out there. If you're just thinking it's just going to happen, then I think you're missing out in Psalm 139 where you've got to ask the Lord to show you, you know? And so they, unfortunately, they weren't obeying the word. And so what ended up happening is they were then sentenced. God disciplines his children and he will judge those who choose their sins and themselves over their Savior. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, if you're here today and you're here to like scrutinize, I'm going to check out the church, see you know these weird people or whatever, you, you, maybe you think you're better than the Christian or whatever, you know, Christians, we're forgiven. We're forgiven, you know. There's a, a little boy, he's talking to his, his dad, he said, Dad, I, I learned something today that God can't do. And the dad said, what? And he said, I learned today that God can't see sins through the blood of Jesus. See, and when you're covered with the blood of Jesus because you've humbled yourself, acknowledged you're a sinner in need of a Savior, then you're saved. But if you're here today and you don't know the Lord and you don't want the Lord, then you're doomed. You're doomed for hell unless 
you repent and you get right with the Lord. And don't say God sent you to hell because you sent yourself. It's up to you. Where do you want to go? Heaven or hell? It's your choice. The Bible says we've all sinned. And what sin does is separates us from God. God will punish. I promise you. So you got to humble yourself and come to the Lord. God will discipline his children as well. I mean, for those of you who are parents, you know, I know there are times we let them get by with it. We're like, ah, I don't feel like dealing with it today or whatever. But generally speaking, you know, if they do something wrong, they disrespect their mother. You know, um, you don't you don't tolerate that. You know, you have to deal with it. And the Lord is the same way. Whomever the Lord loves, he chastens. You know, and in different ways. Sometimes, you know, you see it, man, you get hit by a car. Okay, I got spanked or whatever, you know. Um, other times, it's, it's, it's a loss of reward. He wanted to do something greater with your life. And you don't even realize it unless you're more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And then he shows you, you missed out. You missed out because of your sin. Sorry, you got to get right with the Lord. Yes, you got to get right with the Lord. Right? Me. We got to bring it to the Lord. Numbers eleven thirty three. Speaking of God's people, it says, "But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague." That was God's people, right? That was the children of God. They got struck with the wrath of God, and then in Revelation six fifteen and sixteen, it talks about the wrath of the Lamb coming upon all the non-believers. And so, you know, Josiah sends these guys and he goes and they talk to the prophetess and she says, well, you know, calamity is coming. So we got to learn from that. Calamity is true. It's coming to those who resist God. And so let that teach you. As a matter of fact, let it move you to let calamity move you to humility. I like what we read in verse 18. Look what it says. She's still talking and sending the message. She said, but as for the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard when I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants that they would become a desolation and a curse, And you tore your clothes, notice, and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. And surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. I like the word because. Verse 19. Because, you know, we do have a large part in this. A lot of people say, well, God's going to do it. You know, and it's almost like they take themselves out of the equation. No, we have a responsibility. We have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit because you humbled yourself. God says, then you're going to you're going to die in peace. You're going to die in peace. You know, he had made peace with God. His heart was tender. He mourned over his sins, you guys. He mourned over his sins. He acknowledged the sins of his society that he lived in. He acknowledged the fact that they deserved to be judged. And therefore, his life and the life of the people he led 
were spared as a result of that. And I just pray that we would know this, you know, uh, judgment's on its way. And, and you know, just the, the power of a humble heart. You know, Psalm fifty-one, seventeen. it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. What's it going to take, you know, for you to experience that grace of God? What's it going to take? And God says, well, you don't have to, you know, necessarily do all those, you know, I don't know, ceremonial law sacrifices. You know, what I want is a broken heart. What I want is a contrite heart. What I want is for you and I to just humble ourselves and have that tenderness that God is looking for. His heart was tender and he mourned over his sins. And what ended up happening was God showed them mercy. You know, and God shows mercy, when we read in the Bible, to the worst of the sinners in the Bible. I think of Ahab. Remember that wicked king of Israel? The Bible says in 1 Kings twenty-one twenty-nine that he humbled himself. And therefore, the Bible says God wouldn't bring calamity in his days. I mean, the worst king of Israel, when he humbled himself, God showed him mercy. I think of Manasseh. and We studied his life last week. The worst king of Judah. So we have the worst king of Israel, the worst king of Judah. When they truly, and I'm not talking about a superficial way. I'm talking about just an absolute, true, heartfelt brokenness before God, a humility before God. And it's so hard for some people to get there because, you know, a lot of times they just are so convinced that they are right when they're wrong. And it's so hard sometimes. And God says, until you are broken, I can't deal with you like this. And it requires that, that humility. But when uh, Josiah did this, on, again, uh, you know, his behalf, on behalf of the people, then what ends up happening is uh, God says, I, I give you a promise, man. It's going to be different. And we're going to see in the next chapter how awesome it is, you know. And even the promise there in verse 20, you guys, just in case, you know, you, you ever wonder, he says, surely, therefore, I will gather you to who? To your fathers. And you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. You know, one day we'll see our loved ones again, the ones that have died in Christ. We will be reconciled to them. And I, I'm excited about that. You know, so we read in verse 1 of chapter 23, now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. And then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people, notice, took a stand for the covenant. You see the influence of a leader? You see the influence of Josiah? I mean, a lot of times, you know, we, we blame it on, you know, whatever it is, but the world, the country, the city, the church is just waiting for that 
that leader, that one that would love the Lord in such a way, the one who has penetrated the veil and gazed with inward eye upon the wonder that is God. You know, and when Josiah does this, it's so cool. He, he makes a stand, and then we read that the people also make a stand. And as we go through this chapter and talking about revival, I want to share with you four words um, that maybe you can take home and just ponder over in your life because you want to connect the dots. Lord, I want to bring this into practical application. The first word is the word covenant. The word covenant. He made a covenant. And you'll notice there in this text that he said, I'm going to do this. He just, that's all he said. You know, he, he didn't even say, I want you to do it as much. He just said, this is what I'm going to do. And I like that. I think that's the way it should be, you know. I mean, if you're going to ask people to do something or whatever, just first make sure you've done it yourself, you know. And, and as you do that, you'll notice that people will, will then, I think, even receive a, a lot more. But you make that covenant. You make that covenant with the Lord to be his people. You make that covenant with the Lord and then when you do that, you know, I believe that others will follow. Maybe not everyone, but others will begin to f- catch the vision. They'll catch the vision and they'll say, you know what? This church thing, this Christianity thing, it's not just a social club. There is like a, a structure here. There is a God here who is over this. There is the word of God here. You know, there is a, a call out of the world. There is a call to obedience. There's a call to have a personal relationship. And, and you know, that's the way it should be. We've got to be different. We've got to be salt, right? And so the first word is, I want to encourage you in some final, formal way. You know, it's been said that the Christian life is simply a series of new beginnings. Make a covenant. You know, go home with the Lord, especially if you've been struggling, especially if you've drifted away, especially if you feel like ah, distant or empty or whatever, dry. Go home and make a covenant. Lord, I don't know if I'm going to feel the tingles or not, but I tell you what, Lord, I'm committed to enter into a covenant of obedience to you because you died for me and you're worthy of that. Enter into a covenant. We have a new covenant. It's the blood of Jesus. And, and then the second word is is cleansing clean house now we're going to go through a long section right here how many of you guys like to clean does it agree i like to clean believe it or not um but um this is a different type of cleansing look at verse four it says and the king commanded hilkiah the high priest the priest of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the lord all the articles that were made for baal for Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Then he removed the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem. And those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and to, again, there it is, all the host of heaven. And he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem, burned it at the brook Kidron and ground it to ashes and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. And then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord where the 
women wove hangings for the wooden image, and he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. Also, he broke down the high places at the gates which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. I mean, all these cleansings, uh, just things he's going to do. We're going to see he goes all the way up north, man. He goes, he takes over Israel, Jerusalem, east, west, north, south. It's amazing. Here's what you're going to see in this section right here. He is relentless. He is vicious. He is absolutely just vigorously attacking the sin in the temple of God. I got five minutes left. I think we got maybe more time. But, um, you know, man, I was thinking, wow, this guy, look what he's doing right here. I mean, he brings out the articles. And he's going, he's, he's cleaning house in the temple, you know, that were made for Baal, Asherah, the host of heaven. He burns them. Don't you guys like that? No turning back. <laughs> he burns them. He removes the idolatrous priests. Get out of here. Get out of here, right? He brought out the wooden images of Asherah and ground it to powder. I like that. He ground it to powder, scattering the ashes on the graves of the common people. I mean, that's we're going to see how he desecrates. He, de- he defiles a lot of these places. That's what he does is he takes bones, he grinds them up, and he scatters them over these places. He tore down the booths of the perverted persons, referring to those who practice sodomy and prostitution and religious rituals. And what this is is a reference to idolatrous, sexual, homosexuality that was going on in those days. He brought out the priests and defiled the high places from Geba to Beersheba. He apparently invited these priests back to Jerusalem. We see there in verse 9. But they didn't respond to the invitation. Look what it says in verse 9. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. They didn't go back. Not everybody's going to go back. Even these priests, and Ezekiel talks about them. You know, it's interesting. Ezekiel says they strayed away from the Lord in their hearts, and therefore they lost their privileges. It's amazing. When you read Jeremiah 6 and you read the book of Ezekiel, all these things were happening simultaneously. These priests, they were eating unleavened bread. And you guys know what leaven is, right? They were eating leavened bread. And what that is, is when they're there, these guys right here, they didn't go back. They had their unleavened bread, you know, but that's just a a superficial thing. They weren't right in their hearts. And we're going to go through this real quick, you guys, because... you know, all he's doing is cleaning house. He's just cleaning house. Look at verse 10. He defiled Topheth, which is the valley in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire to Molech. Remember that? We talked about that last week, the abortions. Uh, sometimes, you know, parents killing their kids. I mean, it even happens today. Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the son at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Malek, the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. You know, now these were horses and and chariots, kind of like Paul talked about meat that was offered to idols. And you think, well, it's no big deal. Come on, an idol's nothing. But what he did, you guys, is he just stayed so far away from sin. I'm not going to come near it. If that horse was dedicated to the sun and that chariot was dedicated to the sun, and I sure I could use him, I'd like a horse, I'd like a chariot, it doesn't matter, I'm not going to compromise. I mean, he just got rid of these things. We read here in verse 12, the altars that were on the roof, 
the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke down and pulverized there. Don't you like that word, pulverized? That's a cool word, man. And threw their dust into the brook Hidron. And then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with bones of men. That's how he defiled them. It's interesting how he did this because he didn't want the people to ever think they could go back. He's burning these things. He's pulverizing these things. He's getting rid of these things because he wants to clean house and he doesn't want them to go back anymore. He's doing the best that he can and you know, just wanting to clean house. And then we read in verse 15, Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place, which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, now you go way back to 1 Kings 12. Remember when Jeroboam set up the calf? Way up there in the northern part of Israel? I mean, he goes back deep, man. And this guy made Israel sin. He had made both that altar and the high place. He broke down and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were there on the mountain, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed. Who proclaimed these words? Then he said, What gravestone is this that I see? So the men of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, let him alone, let no one move his bones. And so they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. I mean, you know, and we'll, we'll try to bring it into a practical application in just a second. But you've got to get a visual here. You know, and all this is done in one year. I mean, he's like David. David ran to the battle. David didn't say tomorrow. You know, when you go home tonight, don't say tomorrow. You know, if you've got to get right with the Lord, you get right now. He ran to the battle, and he ran everywhere, wherever there was anything that was wrong. And he went all the way back to the, the beginning of the northern kingdom when Jeroboam split off from Rehoboam. And remember, he set up the calves, and, he, and, he, and that was all prophesied in First Kings chapter 13. Remember, there was a man of God. He came to Jeroboam. He said, hey, you know, you're in sin. You shouldn't be doing that. God brought you here. Look what you've done. And so... You know, he prophesied, he said, one day these things will be desecrated. And what we read in 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 2, is he even mentioned one day God would raise up a guy by the name of Josiah. And he's going to break down these altars and he's going to crush them to powder. Remember that? And it's amazing because here we see it happen. It's just amazing to me. You know how he takes all these things and he grinds them to powder you know, I'm reminded of Moses. He did the same thing. Remember when they, um, when he came down from the mountain and they had taken all their gold and they fashioned it into a calf and uh, Moses came down. But the thing I like about Moses is he put it into powder and then he, he put it in the, in the, with the water and he made him drink it. I like that, you know, <laughs> drink it, you know, because in one sense there's a story there. You know what? You know, God will forgive your sins. But, you know, you've got to still suffer. Oftentimes, a lot of the consequences of all those things, 
you know, God is gracious. You know, he doesn't give us everything that we deserve, but don't think that he owes you. Oh, no, God won't, you know, I've sowed this, but I won't reap it. Probably will. Because the Bible says, whatever you sow, you reap. God will forgive you, but there's still consequences of forgiven sin. And so Moses made him drink it. And, and when they're here and you see all this come together, it's an amazing prophecy that the man of God gave. Uh, verse 19, it says, Now Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds he had done in Bethel. He noticed this. He executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's bones on them. He returned to Jerusalem. What do you guys see? When you see all these things, okay, here we are. I'm going to make a covenant with God. I want to get right. I want to get right. Then you got to clean house. And when you clean house, you got to really clean house. And you got to be, you know, vigorous and relentless and merciless with sin, right? We can't be soft on sin. We can't take it. Like Billy, you know, Sunday says some people treat sin like it's a cream puff when it's really a rattlesnake. You know, uh, when we think of this whole thing right here, I think of uh, the command that God gave to Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Remember, he gave, he said, I want you to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And the Amalekites were a picture of the flesh. But he didn't. He didn't. And he allowed, you know, the the best of the spoil. He allowed the king to live. And so uh, he thought he had done so good, you know. And then Samuel came and he said, you haven't done so good. I hear the the, the bleeding of the, the sheep. And then there's the king. You know, and it's, what, did, what did Saul say? Well, it's the people. Excuse, excuses, excuses. And you got a ton of excuses. And it doesn't, it doesn't cut, it doesn't work for God. And so what did Saul do? You know, oh, come on, you know, just hang with me, you know, make it look good at least. And so Samuel hung with him. But the thing is, is that, you know, I like what Samuel did. <laughs> you guys remember the story? He said, hey, bring the king over here uh, to me in First Samuel 15. And Samuel said, bring Agai, king of the Amalekites, here to me. And so Agai came to him cautiously. And Agai said, surely the bitterness of death is past. You know, he thought that um, he wasn't going to die. <laughs> but Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces <laughs> Before the Lord in Gilgal, imagine that he gets a, you know, a hack and he hacks him to pieces. That's what we need to do with sin. I mean, we can't be soft. We can't be, you know, we can't pet it. We have to be merciless because if not, what ended up happening with Saul is that he allowed the king to live. And there's different stories. Uh, Some even have, have, have thought that perhaps during that small time frame that um, the king actually progenited a child. I I don't know. Again, there's different stories. We read about um, the Agagites in the book of Esther. All I know is this, that in the end of the day, Saul was killed by an Amalekite. 
So you got to kill it or it'll kill you. And what we see right here is God is just saying, make a covenant. And like I said to you, and I don't know if you, you know, I don't know. I know it sounds kind of weird, but write it down. Lord, show me. Show me my sins. Show me my areas. And that way you can, you can clean house. And so we read in verse 21. Now we can do this, man. Then the king commanded all the people saying, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. And such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods of idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. So the first word I'd like you guys to just kind of think about is the word covenant. You know, you renew that covenant or you establish it. Second is cleansing. You know, clean house. You know, what is it that doesn't belong? Sometimes it's even a person, believe it or not. Lord will show you, right? And then the third word is the word contemplation. And and that's what I see in the Passover, because the Passover was symbolic of when God brought them out of Egypt. And that was a celebration. It was a it was so cool, you know, the feast that they would experience there. But it was all it was all intended to remind them of how God had saved them. And sometimes I think we need to contemplate that again, man. Do you remember the day? Do you remember the way? Do you remember the season? Do you remember the reason when you got saved? And sometimes we forget that. And we don't celebrate the Passover, so to speak, the way that we should. And God says, no, in Exodus you know, chapter 13, he says, I want you to remember the day that you came out of Egypt. Think about that. I'll tell you what, when I pray, I think about that. And I just talk to the Lord about it. And it just, it's, it just carries me. And then you can feast. You know, you can, you can celebrate, you know. You read Deuteronomy 16, 2 through 8, and you say how the Lord wanted them to celebrate that Passover. And, and then the last word is verse 25. where it says, Now before him, speaking of Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. You see, the first word is the word uh, covenant. The second word is the word cleansing. Uh, The third word is the word contemplation. But the fourth word is the word commendation. Verse 25. Who said that? Who said that? God did. God said that about Josiah. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Before him, there there wasn't any like him. Nor was there any like him afterwards. It reminds me of what 
we long to hear in the day that we stand before the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what we got to live for. It doesn't matter if that person says something good or bad about you. It really doesn't. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul said, it's a small thing that I'm judged by you. You know, it doesn't really matter what you say. God knows my heart. God knows my motives. And what I'm living for is to please him. And I want to hear that one day. I want to hear that. Well done. See, that commendation is so cool. Josiah lived that life. I want to encourage you to live for God's commendation. Tell you what, it'll change your life. And so we read here in verse 26, Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away from the fierceness of his great wrath with which his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as I have removed Israel and will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen And the house of which I said, my name shall be there. You know, and like I said earlier, it didn't stop the judgment, but it did postpone it, right? Judgment's coming, but man, maybe there can be a revival, right? God said, I'm still going to clean house. So we're going to see that next week if we're still here. Now, the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates, uh, they're battling Babylon. And King Josiah went against him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. And if you read Chronicles, it says there was a great mourning, you know, when he died. And then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him, and made him king in his father's place. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. Not long, huh? His mother's name was Hamudal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. Now Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Riblah in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. You see, you guys see the contrast there? One man bringing revival and the other man going back to Egypt and bringing this burden on the people. See, man, what a terrible place to go back to Egypt. And so many people, they're serving the Lord and they're doing okay. Next thing you know, they go back to their vomit. And so we see here, it says in verse 34, Then Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah. And he changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went to Egypt, and he died there. And so Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land, from everyone according to his assessment, to give it to Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebuda, the daughter of Pedaiah of Rumah. 
And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. There it is again, according to all that his fathers had done. And, you know, everybody's got to make a choice. You know, um, maybe you're here today and your your parents are, are Christian. You're, hey, I, I'm going to get in. I knew one guy, he said, Matt, I got, a, I got a son-in-law that's a pastor and I got an uncle that's a priest. He said, I'm going to heaven, right? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You have to choose for yourselves whom you will serve. You got to choose. And here we see Josiah, he chose. His son didn't, didn't choose Grandson didn't choose. And what ends up happening, you guys, is they suffer the consequences. And so I pray, you guys, we would just take these things to heart. Um, let's make a covenant with the Lord. Um, let's make sure that we have that, oh, Lord, I want to obey you. And then this clean house, God, show me what needs to go out. And, and, and just, you know, I want to encourage you, you know, to go on. Contemplate the day you got saved. Never forget that. And then just live your life for the commendation of the Lord. You know, the cool thing is we clean house in a practical way. But Jesus cleans house in the positional way, huh? If you know the Lord, aren't you so glad that you're covered with the blood of Jesus? Oh, Lord, thank you. We got to go and live a life that is worthy of such a great salvation. I'm so proud of you guys. You didn't fall asleep. Uh, tonight. <laughs> Seriously, man, I, I read a story the other day about a, a, a pastor. He was talking to someone as they were coming into the church uh, building. And uh, the guy asked the pastor, he said, hey, can you kind of like, you know, guide me in a prayer before I come into service tonight? And uh, and the pastor knew this guy, right? And he said, yeah, I got a prayer for you. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord. <laughs> was so lucky. No, but you guys are awake. I think God is doing a work. And so we need somebody to come up and, and close us in prayer. Robert, will you come up and close us in prayer? Let's all stand together and let's pray.